Martin. Am I coming through? Fantastic. Well done. Thanks, James. Excellent. Uh, good morning. So, God has a plan for your well-being. You might be like, yeah, I know that. Or it might be like, really? Um, that's what we're exploring in this series. God has a plan for yours and my well-being. And we're looking at these various styles, each one representing different areas of our life. So whether we're looking at physical, emotional, spiritual, uh, relational, vocational, or financial well-being. This is what we're looking at. So the, and the, the kind of whole message uh, of this series is looking at these different areas. In the Bible, these are different aspects of what the Bible would call shalom. Um, that, that's describing a wholeness or a completeness and a soundness that many Bible translations translate as peace. And in the Old Testament, um, God, one of his names is Yahweh Shalom, the Lord, my peace, or literally the Lord peace. And Jesus is prophesied as the Prince of Peace. So today we're focusing on the theme of physical well-being. And obviously, as you can see, that's because I have incredible physical uh, prowess and uh, stature. So they thought, he's the man for the job. Um, but uh, joking aside, <laughs> thanks, Graham. Like, <laughs> Uh, I, love, I love your laugh, Graham. Um, joking aside, we're, we're looking at physical well-being today. And each week we're going to be looking through these different themes through the lens of Elijah. He was a prophet of God's in the Old Testament. And we'll be exploring these in more depth during Life Group. So please make every effort to get along to Life Group because we'll go deeper there. Um, and we'll do this together as well. And, and this book as well, as Hugh's already said, if you haven't got a copy, please do get cop a copy. If you want to make a donation, fine, but otherwise it's free to you from us. I wonder what crosses your mind when you hear that term, physical well-being. Um, I feel a bit bombarded by it through TV adverts for diets and gym membership and everything else. I'm like, oh, we're not in a culture that, that holds back on, on stuff like that. But, you know, the sense of physical well-being may have changed for you over time. I, I'm finding over the last couple of years, I'm doing this a lot more. I've hit a certain age. I'll be getting my first verifocal glasses on Tuesday, but don't tell everyone. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, your sense of physical well-being may have changed over time, or possibly even really recently. You might feel that your dial is on green, you know, that you're sleeping really well, your head hits a pillow, you're gone, you wake up refreshed, that your diet is excellent, you eat mainly fruit and veg, a little bit of nuts and meat here and there, or maybe not. <laughs> you might feel like, I'm fit. I do good exercise, I have a physical job. You might be on green, or you might be on amber. You might think, yeah, you know, not too bad, need a little work. Or you may be in red. Well, the good news is, wherever you are, God, God cares. He cares about yours and my physical well-being, just like we'll see how he cared for Elijah's physical well-being. And he provides for our well-being. And he has a plan and a purpose for our well-being as well. And I, I think that's what you'll take away today. 
Elijah was a man who spoke and acted in miraculous ways. I would recommend going through First Kings, and it was stunning, stunning. Um, he had a heart and he pursued the things of God. He prophesied and prayed very powerfully. And yet, as it says in James 5, he was just a man like us. He was human. He was trying in all his strength to serve God, to do the right thing. And in his life, he experienced incredible high moments, as well as desperately low moments. You might be here today feeling, you know, like you're flying up with the eagles and life is tremendous. Or you might feel that life feels a bit dark, like a, a dark and dingy valley. Or somewhere in between. The good news is wherever, wherever we are, God cares about us. He provides for us and he has a plan. I'm going to ask Debs to come up and she's going to read through the main scripture uh, for us this morning. Thanks, Debs. Sorry, I'm right out of the way. So we're reading from 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 9. Elijah's journey to Horeb. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do it so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked And there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Brilliant. Thanks, Debs. That was great. Um, Elijah is on the run for his life, quite literally. I've had enough. I just want to go. I want to die. Lord, enough. Take my life. That's what he says. I think with sincerity, he felt that. Elijah might be spiralling. He might be forgetting God's faithfulness and his power. And we could maybe say he's full of self-pity. I'm no better off than my ancestors. There may be an underlying insecurity or hidden fear that he's not addressed. He's walked at least 100 miles on foot from the Bible's description and and the best geography. He's been walking a long time. He is exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
his vocational well-being as the prophet of God has clearly taken a nosedive here, right? And, and think of his relational well-being. His last friend he had, he's sent off, and he's gone off into the wilderness alone. He's there in the wilderness alone with nothing. All of his dials are on red, all of them. So Elijah, he's burnt out. And what does God do first? What does God do first? Does he address his underlying spiritual lack or his emotional issues? Does he reveal that hidden fear? Or does he remind Elijah of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his sovereignty, of his power? I mean, after all that they've been through, how could Elijah forget that? He seems strangely to go, as as Hugh put it, from 10 to 0 very rapidly. No, God doesn't do that. What he does is he gives him sleep and he gives him food first. He knows every hair on Elijah's head. He was there when he formed him in his mother's womb. He knows, like you and me, he's just human. And so he lets him sleep. And then he wakes him up and he says, eat. And then he does it all again. (laughs) Wow. If you thought you were coming to hear something like, this is amazing, I'd never thought of this before, Um, here's your wake-up call. Get some sleep and eat well. Um, Hallelujah, because that's part of God's plan. It's not rocket science. Thank you, Lord, for me. Elijah, he's he's rested and fed before God addresses anything else. And that shows to me that God cares about yours and my physical well-being. He really cares. He provides sleep. He provides sleep to replenish us. Can you say replenish? replenish? Replenish. I like that word. Replenish. It's a bit like replete, um, replenish, so that I am replete. God gives us sleep to replenish us, and he gives us food to strengthen us. Can you say strengthen? Strengthen, with a bit more conviction. Strengthen. Yeah, lovely. If you struggle with sleep, uh, maybe getting enough quality sleep, then perhaps you need to look at why that is. Um, And I've got to say, there's some great... Very practical tips in here on that. Um, I've needed more tips on good sleep in my 40s than I knew that I would do. I've been a good sleeper, an early riser, all of that, generally speaking. And I've had some challenges with sleep. I just thought that wasn't an issue. But if you struggle with sleep, there's some good suggestions there. A habit that I'm more recently trying to develop, it comes from um, a fantastic app that I'd highly recommend, uh, Lectio 365. It's a prayer app, and there's a morning and an evening part to it. And something I'm trying to develop is this habit where um, I finish the day reviewing it with God. I confess any sin that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to mind. I receive forgiveness in Christ. There's usually what they call a refrain of the day, a psalm. And it just prepares my soul for sleep. 
I've prepared my body. I try and avoid watching telly right up to the end and switch off and go to bed or something like that. But I'm ready for sleep. If, if I wake up in the night, which, again, in my mid-40s, I discovered, you know, who knew before that? Who knew? You just go to sleep, sleep, you wake up, and suddenly I was waking up wide awake. Well, if I do that now, I don't toss around in bed for hours. I get up, I avoid screens, I read, and I pray. And nine times out of ten, I find I'm so built up, I can go back to bed, have a sleep, and still make it to work in time. Uh, thank, thank you, Lord. Um, sleep is a beautiful gift from God. It's a beautiful gift from God. In Psalm 4, the psalmist says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make, we, make me dwell in safety. God doesn't sleep or slumber. I've heard it put this way before. God is always covering the night shift. He's got it covered. So I, I can go to bed not worrying about what's going to happen if little old me is fast asleep. And I can have confidence that my safety is covered by him. It's a beautiful thing. We needn't be anxious about going to sleep or having sleep or what will happen when we are asleep. In Psalm 127, it says, it says in vain that you rise up early and go, to, and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Part of God's plan for your well-being and my well-being is adequate sleep and good sleep. It might be some of us need to form the habit of getting to bed on time. <laughs> Rocket science stuff, I did warn you. Um, going to bed on time. Or it might be that when you do get up, if you're like me, you're naturally a bit of an early riser, that you don't go rushing into a work mode. You take your time. You seek to meet with God and receive from him before you, you know, get busy. I'll put it another way. Don't take yourself too seriously, Tom Allen. Yeah? I don't have to toil that way. Now, Jesus did wake early. It's written in the, in the scriptures that sometimes he'd get up early before the sun rose, but he did that to pray with his father, to be replenished with him. If you're an early riser, that's a fantastic way to start the day. And also Jesus had no problem with falling asleep. <laughs> had no problem. It's, it's recorded in scripture, isn't it? He'll sleep through a storm while the boat's going down. He, he didn't have any issues with showing he needed sleep. So we needn't either. Um, that's not an excuse for any of you to nod off now because <laughs> I might just come and prod you if I see you nod off. Um, so sleep is a gift of God for our recovery and our replenishment. Food, too, is essential. And it's a gift from God to be enjoyed. And here's a really important point, that with the food that God provided, with the sleep that he'd had, Elijah was strengthened for a 40-day and 40-night journey. That's fine. I'm not even going to ask a show of hands. None of us have done 40 days and 40 nights journey on our feet. I'm pretty confident on that. 
Um, that must have been some serious meal, right? <laughs> yeah, that was like, that was a heavenly meal. But, but what I want us to get is that God's provision goes beyond our physical well-being. Okay? It does matter, our physical well-being, but there's a plan behind it as well. And that's important because the culture that we live in will elevate physical well-being in an end in itself. And that's not what I'm saying or what the scripture's saying here. There's lots of reasons for that, but as Christians, and we've heard a bit today, um, we have a different perspective. Our hope is not in having a long life for the sake of long life, so that we can enjoy all these amazing, wonderful things, because actually, when I die, I'm not sure what happens, or that it's not going to be good. No. In Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For me, a Christian, to live is Christ. And to die is gain, is gain. There's no fear for a Christian in death. And so there's no kind of disproportionate or ungodly pursuit of physical health and well-being because that's all there is. Living long doesn't need to be an idol. For the follower of Jesus. Death has lost its sting, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. But the Bible is clear that old age is a blessing, and those who are older are a great blessing to us. In Psalm 92, it describes the righteous person as being fruitful, fruitful, even in their old age. So this is describing not just uh, that they still are useful, it's somebody who's full of vitality, full of good works. I'm looking at a few people deliberately as I say this who are models of this to me. The righteous are fruitful even in their old age. Hallelujah. God didn't desire for Elijah to burn brightly and burn out quickly. And he doesn't desire for any of his people to burn brightly but burn out, snuff out fast. He doesn't want any of us to ruin our physical well-being in the name of his kingdom coming. Now, if I'm honest, I don't think that's um, so much a problem in our culture or our day. It was probably more of an issue in church history. Psalm 92 says... We bear fruit in our old age. Burn brightly, but burn long. I wasn't sure if I'd share this, um, and I don't want to offend, but and this, this is only some of my own observations. Um, when I was saved and added to the church at 30, um, and I should just qualify this, my background, I was actually, exercise was an idol of mine, um, definitely. You might look at me and think, really? But it was, it, was, um, it was an idol of mine. So temper with what I'm about to say with that as well. So I was saved, I was added to God's church at the age of 30. And when I looked around, I couldn't help noticing that a lot of young men Honestly, we're just a bit podgy and out of condition. Um, 
And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed and didn't go, oh. Um, but I did. And, and the other thing I noticed is there was a culture, and it might have just been in that church, and it was jovial about overeating, particularly, again, for young men, that it was, it was kind of fun, it was all right, and it was okay. And where I was at then, I really noticed it. And, and I think, you know, in churches it can still be like that. But I never imagined Jesus looking podgy in his physical body and, and sort of like, like he's never done a day's work in his life or anything like that. I just don't imagine it. Any more than I imagine him looking like, you know those old Renaissance pictures where he's this little very pale, very frail, very obviously Western European guy swooning on a... That's as good as I can do. Swooning on a, on a cross. I just don't see him that way. Now, I'm not saying he looked like somebody off the front of a men's health magazine and he's ripped. Scripture's clear. There was nothing about his appearance that we'd go, oh, he must be God. I mean, he didn't have these amazing, piercing, bright blue eyes. Probably, most likely not. Um, that would go, oh, he must be God. There was nothing about him. He was an ordinary man, looking-wise. But I just don't see that. And yeah, it was just my thoughts. Um, and I don't want to offend anyone, but and it's probably to young men. Uh, <laughs> in our home, back to the back to the preach, food. In our home, we have a bowl of fruit. I remember Ben one day saying to us, he came around and went, you guys always have like a healthy load of fruit here. And I was like, well, my heart's swelling with pride. Um, and was, yeah, we do. We just, we make sure there's fruit that the kids can get to it easily. And it's always there and, and help yourself. More recently, we started stacking on top of our fridge healthy snacks like nuts, dried fruit, other things like that. Um, it can be very helpful in those moments of, of the fridge having the answer, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll try some of that instead. It's simple, it's easy. There you go. It's a, um, and the book, again, is full of simple but healthy habits for, for good food and drink habits. In Ephesians, it addresses husbands. Um, so I'll offend, I don't know, just a few of you. Um, but I'm saying this to myself as much as anyone else. I felt that this is what the Holy Spirit shared with me, so I'm going to share with you. It talks about... Um, Yep, there we go. Loving our wives as Christ loved the church. Now that is a massive and complex thing, a preach in itself. And that we're to love our wives as we love our own bodies. Because no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. And the thought I had was like, well, if I'm not nourishing and cherishing my body well, how am I doing on nourishing and cherishing my wife. <laughs> it's a funny one, isn't it? I think, I don't want to read into it what's not there, but I think there is a correlation. There is a correlation, and that's something as husbands we can ask ourselves. For me, the challenge is getting to the doctor, getting to the dentist, and getting to the optician far more regularly than I have been. Far more. I have a wife, I have four kids. 
as you guys that I need to be well for. And God, I, I want to do everything that I can yeah, so that I can live a long and fruitful life, God willing. Physical activity or exercise. Uh, some, some people are like, oh, and others are like, oh, um, when they hear that word, exercise. But physical activity, call it what you like, for a strong, healthy body doesn't need to be an idol like it often is in our culture. In fact, as it says in Romans 12, um, it can be, even doing your workout could be an act of worship to God. I believe that. Well, certainly, we're called to use our bodies in ways as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So we need to look after them. <clears throat> it says, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. In light of what God has done in and through Jesus Christ, it just makes sense that we present our bodies, the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit himself. Did you know that? God is in you. If you believe in Jesus, born again, then the Spirit of God lives in you. We're the temple of God. The church is the temple of God. And we are, if you like, individual building blocks of that. Stunning. Jesus when asked to summarise, give, give us the greatest commandment, teacher. He summarised the commandments and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Yeah, we need to move on with it. With all your strength. Oh yeah, no, you're there. Strength is referring to our physical nature. We're to love God with the totality of who we are, every part of us. And I think that's part of what this series is about, working out where we are in each area of life and how we can love, worship, glorify Jesus more and more. And guess what? Turns out it's a win-win situation. We'll be like, this is how I'm called to live. Okay? I don't know about you, but when I picked up this book and read it, I was a bit nervous. Even the title, Wellbeing, it sounds a bit worldly. What's going on at the moment? I work as a physio and I hear this sort of language. And so I'm very quick to say, hold on, what does the Bible say about this? And if what is in here or anywhere else or anything I say isn't in line with the Bible, if it just sounds like a good idea... Isn't, if it doesn't rest under the authority of the Bible, then we move on. Jesus has called us to worship and love God in the totality of who we are. Can we have the next slide, please, James? In a letter to the Corinthians, Paul describes us, and we've heard it this morning, that we are members of Christ, parts of his body. And in this bit of scripture, he's addressing particular issues around food and sexual immorality. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both 
one and the other. And here's the thing. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You're not your own, for you're bought with a price. That price was Jesus Christ. Came in his body, was beaten beyond recognition. That's my paraphrase of a scripture in Isaiah. By his wounds, we're healed. His body was broken. His blood was shed on the cross. And so, glorify God in your body. If you're a Christian, you've been united with Christ spiritually and physically. Paul was addressing a a sort of popular culture at the time that I could be united with a, a God spiritually, physically, it didn't matter. So I could go off and do what I like. And he was like, no. In Christ, you're joined spiritually and physically. It matters. Our physical well-being matters. What we do with our bodies matters. How we utilize them matters. It's a beautiful thing. In Fillmore's... Um, wonderful, I'd recommend them, commentaries uh, on, on this bit of scripture. He writes this, if you're a Christian, drink deeply of the Holy Spirit. And as you do, as you do so, remember what it means. Your body has been turned into part of God's temple. So it's no longer your own to defile with sexual sin, overeating, drunkenness, or self-harm. Next slide, please, James. Freedom in Christ does include being free from any unhelpful or unhealthy relationship with food. That includes overeating or undereating. Whatever we do, if we're followers of Christ, whether we eat, whatever we do, we're to remember that we've been bought at a price, the blood of Jesus himself, our spirit and our bodies so we can present our bodies as acceptable to God. Um, On a slightly lighter note, uh, I just want to share what I now call Tom's uh, well-being workout. Okay, I didn't used to call it that. In fact, I had no name. I hadn't been so self-aware about it. But I realized in, in preparing for this, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. I'll share it. Hopefully, it's a helpful thing. It'll be different for you. Okay, remember that. Um, it'll be different for you. But when I go out running, I like going running. Um, and when I go running, I ask God to strengthen me in my mind, in my body, in my soul, and my spirit. And then just so, you know, to twist his arm a bit, I say something like, so that, that I can love you with all I am, with all my heart. Choking aside, I want to be like that, to love him with all my heart, with all my body, with all my soul, with all my strength. I'll often speak in tongues. It says in scripture that the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself. We've had it this morning, you know, it's great hear somebody and if we do it publicly then bring a tongue but when you're alone speak in tongues I love doing when I'm running it's a great great opportunity my spirit is built up while my body's getting a workout and I'll pray 
speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And I just try and still my soul, just concentrate on my breathing. And I'm, God's so faithful. He speaks. There's been times that I've just had to stop in my tracks and enjoy him. Or he's revealed something in his creation. Or I've just been over, bowled over nearly. I mean, there's been times where somebody, if they saw me, would think, flip, this guy's having a heart attack. Or let's get you a chair, mate. But actually, it's the love of God. I think that's one of the ways he's hardwired me, to go out and enjoy his creation. It will be different for each of you. It might be getting in the garden. It might be painting a stunning picture or learning a new song or coming up with a new song. It will be different for you. But maybe over the next week, think about a well-being workout for yourself. You know, It might be hoovering, hoovering around, tidying up with some worship music going. Whatever, whatever works and enjoy it. Let it be a wonderful act of worship. I'm going to invite the band up now um, as, as, I, as I come to a close. So God cares for your physical well-being and he provides for it as well. And, and that may not be as so spectacular as with Elijah, but he really cares. And so should we. Our body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And I said it earlier, I said that, that God's provision of sleep, of food, of exercise, goes beyond our physical well-being. If we come back to Elijah, where he had this kind of angelic, supercharged, two-course meal, um, it was something wonderful, I think, because he was able to be strengthened on it enough that he could journey 40 days and 40 nights. The point is God gave him sleep and food first. But he gave him that for a reason, for a purpose. He, he, wanted, he wanted Elijah to journey to Mount Horeb, or also known as Mount Sinai, where he'd met and spoken with Moses years before. He wanted him there because he was going to have a spiritual encounter. We prayed about it before the meeting this morning, and, and I think it was Al reminding us how it wasn't through you know, kind of earthquakes and amazing winds that he heard God, but it was in a still, small voice. Amongst all that power, amongst all that awe, the still, small voice of God. And I hope that today... Some or all of us have heard his still, small voice. He is holy. He's holy. And he's coming again. He came as a man. God is spirit. The Bible is clear on that. But he's made a physical universe and he sent his only son 
with a physical body to be physically crucified and physically resurrected on the third day. He's coming again in that glorified eternal body. He's coming again and he's promised, the Bible promises that if you believe in him, he will raise you to life and he will clothe you in immortality. We've heard a bit this morning from our sister that (laughs) there's a day where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more disease, no more disability. None of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to encourage us that when we, as we go through this series and we look at our mental, our emotional, our spiritual, our relational, our vocational, our financial well-being, please don't skip, don't skip the first course, your physical well-being. Spend time there. It's amazing what tiredness can do or being hungry can do. Yeah, or if you're just not active enough. Let's use the book. Spend some time this week. Explore how you're doing physically and ask God. Ask him, what, what changes? What adjustments do I need to make? You know, you will see exponential changes, but they usually come from very small little changes. I love hearing stories of, I hope you don't mind, Carl, sharing your story of, you know, brothers who are not, they're free. They're not uh, succumbed to eating, you know. They've not succumbed to overeating or thinking that you've got to have a certain reputation. Free. Let's pray for one another this week. I want to pray for us in a minute. Um, Can I ask you all just to stand with your wafer and your drink? We're going to break bread together. If you haven't got one, just pop your hand up and somebody from the hospitality team will make sure you have one. This week, pray. Pray for yourself, but pray for one another that as it goes well with your soul, so too with your body. That, that you will have good physical well-being. That brothers and sisters who maybe don't have such good physical well-being at the moment, you pray for them and pray for yourself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we... As we just break the bread together now, we remember that Jesus came as a man. His body was broken on the cross for you and for me. Thank you, Lord. And on the third day, he was resurrected. Thank you, Lord. You can get the the drink out easier than I can. That's good. I'm sure these are getting harder. <laughs> Just spend some time thinking, thanking what God has done in and through Jesus Christ for you.
And as we drink the wine, we can remember that Jesus dealt the death blow to death. He's paid by his own blood for all of our sin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Before I sit down, before we worship together. Thank you, God. For those who don't yet know you, Jesus, in this room, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself. You would let them know that they were marvellously made in their mother's womb, that you were the maker of them. You know the hairs on their head and you have a plan and a purpose for them. And that Jesus is the answer to all of their questions. And for those who know you, Lord, I pray maybe afresh that we'd know that, but that we would know that we are stewards of this body, that our body matters to you. Thank you, Lord. I pray for any that need healing in this room today, that you would touch our bodies and you would heal us in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Come now, Lord, in your power, in your glory. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our bodies and through our bodies for your glory. Amen. Oh